Ushers, we appreciate your ministry. Amen. Praise God. Always, always good to see um, uh, men rising up, um, women rising up, doing the will, the will of God in our song service. It's always cool to see new people lead the lead the service. So um, that's what we're about, right there. That's discipleship. Amen. Um, it's raising up new generations, new new men, new women. Hallelujah. Proverbs chapter twelve, verse one is where we're going to be at. I want to take a moment and just thank everybody um, that prayed for my wife and I when when these good. Um, it was, uh, we're praying for her. Amen. Thank you. We're praying for a quicker recovery. Um, she was she was born, our, our baby girl, Elizabeth Jael Galeas is her name. Uh, she was born uh, last night at 1120, uh, seven pounds, 14 ounces. Uh, so health, healthy girl. Amen. Um, so not as big as the, our neighbor. Our neighbor was eight pounds and like 14 ounces, something like that, almost nine pounds. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, but Wendy, she's a trooper. You know, she, she's, um, she's really strong. And um, we thank God for, for what women do. Amen. Um, so praise God for that. Thank you guys for the prayers. Uh, both of them are very healthy. They're at home now. Um, they're recovering. So praise God for that. Proverbs chapter 12, verse one is where we're going to be at. I've heard through the grapevine that Men's discipleship with Pastor Ortiz was really good. Amen. <laughs> so praise God. Um, Pastor Ortiz, very uh, uh, one of the one of the greater preachers in our fellowship over the years. Um, cool to have somebody uh, with the same blood. He got saved in Killeen, you know. So it's really cool to have the same um, genealogy spiritually in that. So um, thank you guys for being faithful to that. Um, I wish I would have been there. I was getting after my wife. I was like, what you have to have the baby now? <laughs> Pastor Ortiz is in town. <laughs> Just kidding. All the women there. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> Proverbs 12, um, verse 1. That's what we're going to be at. We have not advanced very far in our spiritual lives if we have not encountered the basic paradox of freedom. That paradox is that we are most free when we are bound. I want you to hear me. We are most free when we are bound. This is why Apostle Paul in the book of Romans and throughout the epistles, he spoke about being a slave to God. That word slave is not a coincidence. It's not a mishap in translation. That is literally what he said. He used the word slave. But not just any way of being bound will suffice. What matters is the character of our binding. The one who will be an athlete, but who is unwilling to discipline his body by regular exercise and training, is not free to excel on the field or the track. You ever seen maybe a sports game, maybe, maybe football, basketball or something? You looked at it and you're like, that looks easy. So then you try, but your gut doesn't let you do it, right? Or you try, and then you get a cramp. Because their discipline has, al has allowed them to freely perform. His failure, an athlete's failure to train rigorously denies him the freedom to run with the desired speed, the endurance that he desires. Discipline regardless of the form that it reaches us, should be embraced. And tonight, I don't want you to misinterpret me. I'm not going to go on to preach a sermon on diets. 
and losing weight and stuff like that, although that might be a, a good sermon to preach, right? <laughs> but I'm talking about the discipline that comes to you verbally from somebody else. And somebody has to correct you or train you, coach you, shape you. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 1 says, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. So I want to preach a sermon that I have entitled Training Day. Training Day. <laughs> Let's pray tonight. Father, we thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in this place. God, I pray that you will help me to minister. God, I do not come in my own talents, my own abilities. Father, all the glory goes to you. You are the center of the service, God. God, I pray that you will speak to men and women here tonight, God. God, that we will begin to love to embrace discipline, God, regardless of how it reaches us, God, through who it reaches us, knowing, God, that it comes, Father, with great benefit. Lord, I pray, let it be your Holy Spirit ministering to us, God. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. The people of God said tonight, amen. I want to speak first about training grounds. Life is filled with trial and error. This is a dynamic of those that are actually engaged in doing life. Um, my favorite president, Theodore Roosevelt, spoke about this. You've heard me quote him many times, the man of the arena. Um, it speaks about not being the critic. It's like we're not supposed to be the critic. We're supposed to be the man in the arena. That it's like it's, you have these people at times who will criticize and they'll stand behind all the ESPNs, right, with the suits and sports analysts and they got all to everything to say about sports and what they should do and and how they the, this is the way they should they should play but they've never touched the ball never snapped never shot because they're not the man in the arena if you do life right there will be a lot of trials and there will be a lot of errors you know most people and my emphasis is in that word most most people learn from their mistakes a bruised knee is adequate motivation for a child learning to ride a bicycle many times. He gains a desire to practice more so he can balance properly so he won't fall again. A child receives correction from a parent for misbehaving, and the thought is that he changes his misbehavior. At times, they'll come and they'll say, Pastor, what happens when you spank them and they don't correct their behavior and the answer is always well you spank them more amen <laughs> you correct them more it's like well what happens if they 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 weigh out decisions they say i'd rather have fun and deal with the consequences of spankings later well then you begin to discipline them differently but there's always a discipline that brings forth character and a change in people's behavior Everyone faces a learning process. This is especially true with starting a new job, a new career, maybe in a new industry. Learning what performance is acceptable, what you should do, what you shouldn't, at what rates. And there's a learning curve in the beginning, but eventually that goes away. Goes on many times, the boss or the supervisor has to correct what is unacceptable and help them to do what is expected. You know, one of the best places of discipleship is at a workplace. To become a great man of God, go on to pioneer and build these churches and lead people to God and make disciples. It happens at your workplace. If you don't have a job, it's hard to be a disciple. 
correction can be generalized in two ways. One category will be from someone above, if that's headship or if that's God himself. Or many times, correction from God comes through headship. And either way, many times it is hard to accept. Our church is not only a hospital. You've heard that said before, and I believe there is a truth to that. That we are broken people here, and some of us do a better job of hiding it, but we're broken. And we have issues, we have things that need to change, we need correction, we need discipline. This is a hospital, but it's also a training ground. There's an overall theme of training in our Bible. It isn't just about the salvation from hell. People who did great in the kingdom of God, who were successful, weren't just saved from hell. They became useful in the kingdom. You can speak about Moses and Joshua. God changes their life and they become deliverers. They become, uh, they become these men who are able to lead other people. Elijah and Elisha, some of the greatest miracles come from these two men. You know, they go on to do great, great signs and wonders prophesied to their, to, to their generation. Jesus and his 12 disciples, as Jesus looks at his men, he says, greater things than I you will go on to do. And you know all of these different things. Um, you have Thomas, the disciple, unlocks the region of India. You have Paul that goes to, uh, to Asia that begins to unlock it. And all these disciples begin to do great things. Timothy in, 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 in Greece. Paul and his man, Timothy, Titus, and many more. But all this came through discipline and correction. Our scripture speaks about discipline and knowledge. Proverbs are rather easy to understand. For most part, they're dualisms. I don't think you need the, the Greek interpretation to understand this. or so the Hebrew um, dictionary, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. You ever been called stupid before? You know exactly what it means. Don't you? <laughs> when you're called that, you know, it, it reminds you, it's like, yeah, that was kind of stupid. I don't know why I did that. The word discipline in the Hebrew is musar, which means to chastise or even to train. I preached a sermon many years ago, the difference between teaching and training, that a teacher can get up. I had an Indian teacher from, uh, from Bangalore. Uh, his name was Mr. Mehta. He, he, he taught um, integrative physics and chemistry. And he got up there, and all he literally did was talk. And you were just supposed to repeat, I mean, copy everything he said. And the way you were graded was that he went back in his recording what he said and just go word by word. And that's all you did. That's, that, you can consider that teaching. Ask me how much of IPC I remember. I remember anything of IPC. But then I had other teachers who trained me, who sat down and created different scenarios and did what they needed to do so that I can be trained. See, training creates scenarios for people for the sake of learning. This is what you do with your children. You train them in God's ways. You take advantage of the situations around their life, their siblings, how they deal with their siblings, how they deal with their authorities 
in church and outside of church, one of the things I do with my son Titus is if we're in a restaurant and we see law enforcement, we'll buy them their dinner. And, and Titus will go and say, thank you for your service because I want him to have a good, a good perspective of authority. I grew up hiding from the cops. <laughs> my dad used to say, la chota. And we used, to, we used to get down. You know what I'm talking about, right? So that was my perspective. I don't want my son to have that perspective. So they're very intentional things. It says in our text, who loves discipline, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. See, the word knowledge comes from a Hebrew word, which is D-A-A-T, which means the ability to discern or to understand. And here's where we get our problem is that for many of us, we have knowledge, but we don't like discipline. So we skip the discipline part, and everything's up on our head. So now we're know-it-alls. To know something is to perceive it or to be aware of it. But that's not what our text speaks about, and that's not what life requires. Life doesn't just require you to be aware of stuff. Or just to know stuff. This is the, 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 the whole conundrum with college kids that they're there in college. The problem is that they're getting knowledge, but they're still dumb. They need somebody to train them. They need to go through life. I was speaking to, um, um, to Teddy the other day. He showed me that um, in Northbrook High School, there was, a, there was a teacher who was caught having a relationship with, um, with a student there. And I was explaining to him what my thoughts behind this is that you think about this, at 18 years old, you graduate high school, you go through college to get a teaching degree and a license, it takes four years to do. So at four years, 18 plus four, what is it, 23? Did I do that mental math right? Yeah, okay. So 23, now you're back in high school and you haven't even matured. But you got a teaching license. And now you're there and, you're, and, 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 you're, and, and you have this 23-year-old teacher with daddy issues. <laughs> trying to give knowledge to somebody who doesn't want it. You guys know where I'm going with this, right? See, knowledge is, this, is determined by our stage in life. To know something, it's not necessarily maturity. You can't expect to know trigonometry in first grade. Somebody must make you aware of it, teach you, and test you in it. In other, word, who, in other words, whoever loves training and correction gains ability and discernment in life. Love or hate, or love and hate in our scripture, are not to be understood as emotions, but as Hebrew literature attempting to bring forth a stark contrast. Whoever loves discipline, it's not speaking about this romantic love. It's speaking about this embrace, this commitment knowing that regardless of how it makes you feel, you want it in your life. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. Discipline and reproof in our scripture is in the context of authority. And this is exactly what happens in church discipleship. You are given responsibilities and placed in scenarios that will add pressure and cause you to grow. And if you think about it, the playing field is leveled out. We don't know everything. 
We all need somebody ahead of us that can help us get to our destiny. This is why this is the great benefit, the great benefit in our church of having older saints. That you can tap into their knowledge, you can tap into what they've been through. You, 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 you might think they're just old farts, I get it. But they've seen some things. They know some things. They have some wisdom, they have some, they might not know it all, but you're able to get something out of that. Listen, we all have a destiny in this place. And we're all not qualified for it. We need someone to shape us and to mold us. This is the whole thought of discipleship. Discipleship is a man submitting himself to another man for guidance. Think about what Solomon says about preparation. Proverbs 21, 31 says, The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. Think about this. This is the element of discipleship. It all belongs to God. Everything we do, the increase, all that we see, everything that we do through our church, the victory belongs to God, but the horse is still made ready. The horse is made ready for the day of battle. God blesses preparation. This is one of the things, if you've ever been in ministry, you hear me say that to you. God blesses preparation. Preparation is up to us. Victory will be brought by God. Here we are getting closer to our haunted house. We've been having ads on Facebook and Instagram for almost two weeks now, preparing for this. We've had conversations. This haunted house was scheduled last year. Somebody was asking me about a revival. I was like, can we get this person to come for a revival? And I said, yeah, but we're scheduled to 2025. Because we're prepared. We're looking ahead of time. We're trying to be in front of everything, right? What did Pastor Payne in conference said? There's men who are always a day, a day late and a dollar short, right? Pastor Campbell will say he always, he always got his, he's always got a booger in his nose and his pockets are sticking out. <laughs> God blesses preparation. You know, the reality is that God sees how much we care. And how much we're willing to challenge us. How much we're willing to challenge ourselves. Our scripture is attempting to teach us that we should value the training that comes from authority. Even if it is at times hard to receive. And I tell you, listen, I've learned over the years. I've been saved 13 years now. 10 years of ministry. Authority is a blessing. People today fear authority. Or they just plain out don't respect it. From elementary school through high school, Western education teaches us to question authority. The Bible, question the Bible because it's alleged contradictions. Men, because of abuse, discipleship became harder after the 70s when you saw all these cults um, come up. You guys remember the cult in Uganda, the guy that was wearing glasses, I think his name was Jim Jones, was that his name? Um, the guy in Waco, the crazy guy. Um, and you had all these different cults that, that came through. So now they're, they're quest they question authority. They question pastoring. They question leadership in the church. And they've gone through a whole different extreme. Question economics because the rich just get richer. Religious, religious leaders, you've heard the phrase, drink the Kool-Aid. Politicians just follow the money. 
the media, their bias, fake news. Some of this is true, I get it. If not careful, you can be shaped by culture to fall into a subtle undermining of authority. Become cynical to any man or woman who's in charge. You can begin to hate correction and reject anybody that's trying to help. And this will make it very, very hard for you to serve God, especially in our churches. Because you always have new guys in charge. If we do this thing right, if we do discipleship right, we have new song service leaders, new door directors every year. And just this wave of leadership of men who weren't born leaders. I remember Pastor Campbell did a Sunday school. And he spoke about how you're not born a leader, you're made into a leader. Miguel de Cervantes said, it's one thing to praise discipline, it's another thing to submit to it. Discipline is to strengthen and restore, not to condemn or destroy. The problem is that discipline comes to us in all kinds of flavors, doesn't it? All kinds of personalities, depending on the person that gives it to you. Some of them are a little bit more rough. Some of them are a little bit more passive-aggressive. But it's there. I'll move on to my second thought quickly. And that is to hate training is to reject growth. In our scripture, we see that there's a direct link between the hatred of correction and stupidity. So very clearly, if you want to be stupid, just hate the people who correct you. The word reproof, it comes from a Hebrew word, which means to reprimand or, or punish, to blame or reproach. You know, there's times in life it's good that somebody says it's your fault. That somebody tells you you're, you're not doing what you're supposed to do. That's the reason why it happened is because you did this. Matthew Henry, the commentator, says, He that hates reproof is not only foolish, but brutish. It resembles an animal. This is like the horse and the mule that have no understanding or the ox that kicks against the goad. Those that desire to live in loose families and societies where they may be under no check, that stifle the convictions of their own consciousness, and count to uh, those, their enemies, that tell them the truth, are the brutish here meant. We're living in a generation that's self-taught, self-acclaimed, self-made people. Don't doubt it. There might be somebody here, you think you're a car mechanic because you saw a YouTube video. <laughs> right? <laughs> you think you're the next, the next NFL star because you saw a highlight and now you're copying that move, right? Or, you know, this might, this might work in the world. But in the kingdom of God, disciples aren't self-made. I want you to hear me out. It might work in the world. You can TikTok your way all the way to fame in the world. You can Instagram your way to fame and money. But in the kingdom of God, disciples are not self-made. What you see in me is all the reproof and all the training from my pastor. Years under Pastor Vaz, years under Pastor Rosario, it all is them. What you see in me is them. I had a situation happen in Mexico City when I went on a trip with my pastor. Um, pastor, when we go on trips, he would send the other pastors with him on, on Sundays to go and preach in different churches. And he sent me to one 
where I got there, and the guy picked me up, and he said, hey, um, you know, uh, I, I misunderstood my pastor. I've been telling my church that your pastor was supposed to come, and they're all excited to see your pastor. <laughs> He's like, I, I even had a picture of him on the, on the slideshow, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> so you mean I'm going to go there and supposed to fill in the spot of Pastor Rosario? <laughs> Conference speaker? From Chandler, people, people know, like, oh, like, I have an accent. <laughs> so we're just, uh, and I told Pastor about this, had a great service. I mean, uh, God, God's grace was there. And I told Pastor, and he started laughing. But he told me, he's like, that's okay. He's like, you're a descendant. It's the same spirit. So that word descendant made me think, like, that's interesting he used that. But he's speaking about people who embrace discipleship. When you embrace discipline, that is the proof of our sonship. Discipleship is this genealogy spiritually. You're supposed to be able to track it to your pastor. So what, what is the result of this? Is that we begin to do it on our own when we reject discipline. The danger about this is that some people are very smart and independent. And might get away with doing life on your own. But ministry will always, say with me, always, always require help and guidance from others. You got to understand this, we're not operating in the secular. You can, you can go through the ranks in your job and you can fool some people, but the Bible very clearly says in Galatians chapter 6, God will not be mocked. I want you to consider what Moses' father-in-law tells him. In Exodus chapter 18, interesting conversation in verse 14 and 18. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you're doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning to evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me and, they, and I decide between one person and another. And I make them know the statutes of God and his law. That's, that's the job description of a pastor, isn't it? Verse 17, Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you are doing is not good. All you guys that want to be pastors, you need to underline this verse right here. What you're doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourself out. It's called burnout. For the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. In other words, as you can't be God for them, you need help. Ministry will always require help. It would always need the, 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 the help of others. You know the story, Moses goes on and, and becomes a deliverer and he needs the help of Aaron, his brother, to raise his hands. You guys remember the story of the battle where as long as his hands were up, they were winning. But if anybody has tried to keep their hands up for past, depending how bad in shape you are, but the, the, after two, three minutes, it begins to kind of hurt and you need help. You start leaning on things. You start, he needed somebody's help. His father-in-law says, you can't do this alone. You can't do this without discipline. I'll tell you right now, I would not be where I am, and I would have not seen all the success I've seen in ministry if it wasn't for my pastor. Yes, I had to work. 
A lot of it directly came from my, my, hand, my shoulder to the plow. But there's plenty of critical times where I could have blown things up. And it was his involvement that helped me. It was his discipline. I don't know if you've been there, but I've been called stupid by my pastor before. <laughs> In a loving way. But I was. And to be honest with you, those moments saved my life. If you're a fan of basketball or not, I'm sure you've heard this name. His name is Allen Iverson. Iverson is a very talented generational player for some people, one of, some of the, one of the greatest point guards to ever play, but never won a championship. Doesn't have a ring to show it, can only tell you he played for the 76ers, can only tell you all these different moments and the highlights, but doesn't have a ring to show it, right? What separated Iverson from Kobe and MJ is the love for practice. There's a specific scene in an interview where, where um, Iverson was missing a lot of practice and, and, this, and he was going to the games. But he, so think about this. He would not go to practice and go to the games. That's like if you didn't show up all week but showed up Friday for your paycheck. That's what was going on, right? So he shows up and they're finally interviewing him because it is an obligation to have social uh, skills to be able to do these press conferences. So he's up there. And they're asking him about practice, and he, and he keeps on repeating. So it's like, practice? He's like, practice? You're asking me about practice? He's like, you don't see how hard I play, but you're asking me about practice? And it became a meme because, like, yeah, we're asking you about practice. Yeah, we are. Because you should have been at practice. That's why you don't have a championship. Because you weren't at practice. Kobe and MJ were there before practice started. We're there after practice ended. Let me ask you a question. Do you love practice? This is training right here. Do you love training? Or are you just waiting for your name and lights? One day. One day we'll say out of Houston into this city, so-and-so, and you're going to get up and you're going to be holding your wife's hand. You're going to be walking up to conference. You're going to get a word. Is that what you're waiting for? Or do you love practice? I've seen it over the years. People who embrace authority, discipline, and reproof are elevated. And they see supernatural growth. What makes me mad is when I hear people call those that love discipline, they'll call them brown nosers. Teacher's pets, they'll say things like that. You can really kill something that could really help them grow. Victor Edmund said, this discipleship means discipline. The discipline is one who has, who has come with his ignorance, superstition, and sin to find learning truth and forgiveness from the Savior. Without discipline, we're not disciples. I'm going to close with my third point, and that is keeping a teachable spirit. It is our responsibility to guard our heart from an anti-teachable spirit. I can't think of a better word. That's just, that's just my opposite for it. Proverbs 4.23, it says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it, from it flows the springs of life. Discipleship training is a two-player game. We must do our part to remain teachable and trust 
in authority and trust that God's the one that placed it there. So the question now is, how do we keep a teachable spirit? What, what does that even mean? How do we keep a teachable spirit? Number one, ask questions. Ask and keep learning. You've heard me say this before in Sunday school. People don't ask questions. They give comments. Everybody, quickly, they have something to say. Everybody's always got something to say, but never questions. Ask specifically, wow, well, how does, what's the process? This is the way I process things in my life. I process the situation. I come up with a solution. Then I will bounce it off of my pastor. Why? Because he has been doing this a lot longer than I have. And there's a blessing through spiritual authority. So I just bounce it off. I've already made up my mind. I've done my job. I've talked to God. I've used my wisdom. I've opened my Bible. But I understand that I'm a human and my emotions are invested many times. So I need somebody to cover my blind sides. That's a term I got from Pastor Campbell. You got to learn how to get people who will cover your blind sides. If you have a doubt, just ask. It's amazing to me. There's people, listen, they'll be in church for years and never ask me anything. If you're a good leader, you should be asking questions. And if you're already a leader, listen, questions shouldn't be a threat to you. All right, just, they just want to learn. They just want to know. So that's number one, asking you keep learning. Number two is reject cynicism. Make up in your mind that it is okay for you to be fooled, but God cannot be fooled. I would rather be wrong about people and give them the benefit of the doubt than to be right and be a jerk. It's not being naive or being gullible. It's just understanding life. And I know, listen, I know there's people with bad intentions. Sometimes I know, sometimes we'll be in conversation, I, I just know. <laughs> it's like, I know you don't mean that. But the benefit of the doubt is the responsibility that we have. Number three is stay humble. That's hard. <laughs> the longer you do things in life, the more success you have. Staying humble becomes a challenge. I mean, you guys know it's easy to stay humble when you're broke. Right? <laughs> it's easy to stay humble when you got nothing to brag about, right? <laughs> we'll start getting a few dubs under your belt, and you're going to start, you're going to start to try to battle with that. So keeping a teachable spirit has to do with your attitude, your character, your actions. Ask, ask. I'll ask people. I'll ask people just even under me. I'll just ask them a question. What do you think about this? Like, what, what's what's your perspective on this? And then reject cynicism. Cynicism is from hell. Because it's, it's the way you view people. And there's a lot of evil in this world. There's a lot of bad. And if we're going to live in cynicism, listen, you're, you're going you're gonna to think a psycho lives next to you. And, and it's just, it's just, that's, that's how, just, that's how you're going to process life from now on. So ask, keep learning, reject cynicism, and stay humble. When we embrace God's pattern of discipleship, we see God's favor and his hand upon our lives. Every single one of us 
need a humble and teachable spirit. Every single one of us, that includes me. I have to keep a humble and teachable spirit. Think about what God did to Paul or Saul to make sure he was humble and teachable. Right? Man who persecuted Christians was there in the crowd in the murder of Stephen, a martyr. And here it is now, knocked off his high horse, can't see. Probably not more of a humbling position than a man who can't see and he has to put his hand on Ananias. Another Christian is going to lead him to a place where he's going to have his vision restored. That's pretty humbling. I don't know about you, but I want to be a man. I'm not trying to be humorous, but I'm not trying to be stupid in life. I did a lot of stupid things my whole life. And throughout life, I begin to think, you know what, I, I just, I can't afford stupidity anymore. I, I want to love discipline. I want to love knowledge. And I want to do right. I want to have wisdom. I want to have discernment. I remember when I first got saved, I would look at my pastor. I would look at certain couples and I will say, I want that marriage. And say, man, I, I grew up and marriage wasn't working around my life. Everybody I knew was either in adultery, divorce. But the house of God provided for me examples that actually actually worked. The other day I closed with this story. I feel bad for the for the lady. I was in, I was at, at an emergency emergency room with my wife a few weeks ago, probably about a month ago. And as they they were tra- uh, transferring my wife through like the back hallways and when we were passing by she brought in what looked like a tray size of a human being so I think Wendy was on her phone but I saw it and I was like oh my gosh and I just felt it I was just like wow okay so it is my wife I'm thinking to myself my wife's pregnant and she's bringing she's about to bring life and here it is this human tray exiting stepping into eternity I didn't know but that's just what my mind was thinking we went into the into the elevator, and the lady, we had a very sadistic nurse. She was just, it was just horrible. I don't even know why she's even a nurse if she's going to be like that. But she went in, when we were in the elevator, she's like, you know, you know that was a dead body, right? And I was like, really? I th- that's what I thought. And my wife was like, man, that's creepy. And she's like, why? She's like, I'm more scared of people who are alive than dead people. And then she went on this whole rant yeah, I was kind of like, I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> like, they had a bad day, but she's had a bad life. She goes on, she said, you know what, I don't even go to funerals anymore. I don't know, I don't go to funerals. She's like, no, nah, I just, she's like, everybody's fake there. It's like, where were you when they were alive? Where were you when they, she's like, you come bring them flowers now. And then she went, I don't even go to weddings anymore. It's like, because all, all my friends are divorced and all my, and I just begin to think, it's like, oh my gosh. But she gave me a vibe, and this is the reason why I'm telling you. She gave me a vibe where it was like, I don't know if there's anything I can tell her that's going to teach her or change her mind. She's lost that teachable spirit now. And somewhere she just needs a miracle from God. There's people who come to church, that's, that's exactly what happens. And that's why you never see them grow, because they just need a miracle. Somewhere they, that, 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 that prideful, sadistic... 
um, cynical attitude spirit just needs to break and be able to say, you know what, I am going to receive from God. I'm going to receive from my authorities in church. I'm going to believe, even though my emotions don't match, but God, you said it. I'm going to believe you love me. I believe my church loves me. I'm going to love my church, and I'm just going to move forward from here. So I want to encourage you here today that you begin to pray, God, help me to love discipline. Help me to love correction. Help me to love however you bring it to me. Help me to accept it. Can I get every head bowed and every eye closed? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Apologize, I went a little bit longer than what I usually do. You're here tonight, you're not saved. You're not right with God. For it to die this moment, heaven will not be your home. But you want to change that? You want to give your life to Jesus? That's you quickly. Would you raise your hand? Not saved, not right with God. On the way to hell. Sin in your heart that you need to repent. Would you raise your hand? Raise it up high. Let me see you. Amen. See that hand that on his heart. Maybe you're backslidden, a person who used to be right with God, but today you're far from him. You know who he is. You had an experience with him. But today you're far from him. You want to reconcile your relationship with Christ. That's you. Would you raise your hand in this place? Backslidden, but you want to get right. Raise your hand. Amen. Very well. If you raise your hand, would you look up at me tonight? Did you mean that? Did you mean that? I believe you did. Why don't you stand up? Come here. Come here. We're going to have somebody pray for you. We need two altar workers tonight. Amen. Praise God. I want to change the order of the service. I want to speak to the church. I want to speak to Christians tonight. You know, Christianity by nature has this very dynamic ingrained in it. And that is that teachable, asking questions and receiving and learning and and all these things, but I think it's especially true in our churches where discipleship is on the front row, the front of our minds, that this is what we're pushing, we're helping people, and ministries are ran by lay workers, pastors who don't go to seminary school, don't have degrees, but they do receive correction. I believe tonight this is something that needs to be embraced. So don't get me wrong, I don't think tonight that that's something that's completely been ignored. I think the 20 years of our church have been directly linked to that. That there's been a core of people who have been submitted to that. But tonight I want to create a different at least a little bit different of an atmosphere, and that is to love discipline. To understand, my coach in high school one time, he told me, I scream at you because I love you and I care about you. He said, the moment I stop correcting you is the moment when I stop caring for you. Pray, God, help me to love discipline. 
Let's all stand up to our feet in this place. Let's come to the altar. Let's come and talk to Jesus tonight. So we sing out this song.